Welcome to the Winter Palace. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Odessa Steps Magazine. Today on the pod, it's video game chat with the YouTube and Twitch streamer Jason Plays, who is mainly known as a No Man's Sky streamer. That's where we're going to start because there was just a recent update to the game and we're going to talk about how it had a very rocky start four or five years ago to how they've managed to rebound and continue to grow their fan base with numerous updates over the years, all for free I might add, and where Hello Games and Sean Murray might be going in the future. We're also going to talk about the Microsoft slash Bethesda game Starfield. The day we recorded the pod was the day that they announced that Starfield was not coming out in the spring, as many had hoped, but is coming out in September. So we're going to talk about the prospects for that game, uh, disappointment for it being delayed, and other things. Then there's a bunch of other video game talk we're going to have. Jason just finished playing the Hogwarts Legacy game. We're going to talk about how much he enjoyed that. Some other games that he's been streaming. Um, and then a bunch of other random video game chat, uh, including My Love for Red Dead, Redemption 2, and the original, of course, and some of the other games that I've been playing on the Switch that I would recommend that are sort of on the lowdown, like Card Shark and Golf Story and the recently released sequel Sports Story. After that, we're going to talk about Jason's former career in radio. We're going to talk about how radio has fallen on hard times in recent years due to the battles with streaming and podcasts and satellite radio and all the things, how radio was affected during the lockdown, and then how it continued to shrink afterwards, why he left the radio and became a full-time streamer, and a bunch of other things. We're definitely going to hope to have Jason back on the show in the future when there's video game stuff to talk about. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Winter Palace. When I play my video games, I tend to play one game and play them to death to the exclusion of all others. I'm usually not uh, uh, a sampler, as they would say. And so, for most of the last few years, I was playing Red Dead until they finally gave up the ghost and stopped updating it. And I had not really touched my Xbox in months, and then I heard... They've, there was a new update to No Man's Sky, and I was a, a No Man's Sky player for a couple years, and then I fell off for maybe a year. And then with the, this new update brought me back, and so I've been playing it for a couple months, and I thought, who can I talk to about my love of Xbox, or uh, my love of No Man's Sky? I know one of the most prolific No Man's Sky streamers out there and I'm happy to say that Jason Plays is on the show today, and we're going to talk about our love of No Man's Sky, other games he's playing. Um, we both woke up to the news about Starfield, so we'll be talking about that at some point. And maybe we can also talk about Jason's other, or his former career, I should say, before he became a full-time streamer, because I'm very fascinated to learn about the uh, the way that that industry is in 
uh, post-pandemic. So before all that, let me welcome Jason to the show. How are you doing, Jason? I'm doing awesome, Mark. Thank you so much for having me on here, dude. And seriously, I don't know. I always feel weird about the whole like most prolific uh, streamer and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there are amazing creators out there, and I'm, I'm happy to be one of them. I'm happy to be one of them. Well, it's funny that I used to I, – before I sort of went on my No Man's, no Man's Guy hiatus, I, you know, I was watching your videos all the time, and then probably once Red Dead came out, I was playing that hardcore all the time and not much else. And then, like I said, once you know, Rockstar kind of you – know, once it became the sort of abandoned stepchild, I like sort of just gave up uh, – playing anything on my console for a while because I had a Switch and I was also still a daily Animal Cross or uh, um, Animal Crossing survivor or a daily player. So when I finally gave up that after a while, I was like, what can I play? And I was like, hey, I haven't played X or, uh, No Man's Sky in a while. And that was right around the time that they had the big 4.0 update. And that's what brought me back. That what brought you okay. That's what brought you back. Okay. Well, it's funny too because the first time that I played again, you know, after getting all the updates, I was like, "Wait, there are so many things that are different." Oh, I should tell you that the thing that I didn't know about, besides all the changes they made, like to the inventory and stuff like that, I had never. I had been gone so long, I had never played any of the expeditions. Really, you missed all of them. I missed uh, all. That was a. That would have been 2021. So yeah, you were out for all of that. Yeah, so I was out probably because it used to be I had a daily habit of for a while that I would wake up because I worked 12-hour night shifts. So Ooh. I would basically wake up in the afternoon, log on long enough to play No Man's Sky for maybe a couple minutes and then play Red Dead for a couple minutes just to get to keep my daily streak going. And then once the updates stopped coming for that, and then one day I had the thing where, shockingly, the Rockstar servers were down, and I only had like a window of half an hour to play, and so my like 600-day streak or whatever it was was broken. And I'm like, well, my streak's broken. I can, <laughs> no. st I can, I can stop playing now. So... I kind of just fell off everything at that point. But yeah, the the 4.0 brought me back and I was amazed and I I think I'm in the same boat as you. I actually really like now the streamlined inventory cuz it's funny watching your older videos, you know, cuz I went back to watch to catch up what I had missed and like I had forgotten sort of the annoyance of like having three different inventories and having to manage it and yep. stuff like that and it's it's so much easier now. It's like I know a lot of people got upset with that update because, you know, they were so overpowered with their suits. You know, they could do basically whatever they wanted. But, like, now you had to pick and choose and, and limit things. But I think it's – I kind of like it better now, and you know, than the way it was before. Yeah, well, I mean, it, and it, it, it kind of it, – it differs depending on who you talk to. A lot of the old school, like – uh, veteran players that played it since day one and they had everything memorized they really hated it like there was so many uh comments about how this is trash this ruined the game and i didn't understand it because i was looking at it going this i feel like it's great because like you said it streamlined it but also 
I had a, a, a main save that I played for years, and so I, I maxed out all of my, my, my upgrades and everything like that. But I also, because I did that, I felt like the game wasn't challenging. I was just walking through any new update. Like, they came out with the, uh, a Sentinel update. And I was like, yeah, great, we're going to have new enemies. They're going to be tougher. And I jumped in with my main save, and it didn't feel different because I was so overpowered. Whereas if you start a brand new save, yeah, they're really tough because you don't have all these really good upgrades. And so to me, when I first jumped in, immediately when I first looked at it, I said, oh, this is this is not good. This is a mess because they had to readjust everything. And before you can actually double up, it was a it was an unnoticed bug or some kind of a glitch in the game to where you could double up all of your uh, upgrades. And everyone was like, that was we had it for years. So we were used to that. And when 4.0 came out, they actually fixed it and said, look, you weren't supposed to be able to double up all of your upgrades. You can only have this many, and that's it. Everyone freaked out. You know, they gave us all our upgrades back, but we had to choose which ones to install rather than have them all. And so I thought, I was like, when I first saw that, I was like, oh, God, this is going to, holy crap. And so I spent like a good hour just trying to figure out, okay, what are, what are we supposed to do with this? And then it clicked in my brain, like, okay, they want us to only use the best ones. You can't use all of them. And so I was like, okay, you know what? Actually, this is better because now I'm not completely overpowered. I can choose how I want to be overpowered because I could install all the best upgrades for like, you know, a certain weapon on my multi-tool versus all of the weapons on my multi-tool. So it was really, really cool. But a lot of people, they were uh, the 4.0 update and then this latest one, the uh, Fractal update. It feels like they've been cleaning house, kind of going through and saying, look, we've had these problems in here for a while now, and we've kind of ignored it, trying to add more content, but we need to go back and do some house cleaning and fix a lot of these problems that have been really in there and stewing for a while. And a lot of old school players, are they, we've gotten used to it. And so now we're getting a lot of the people, not everybody, but a lot of them have been getting upset and saying, well, the game, it doesn't work as well as it used to before, you know, and it's like, oh, no, it's just different now. And I feel like they're cleaning it up for either they're getting ready for the end of No Man's Sky or they're cleaning it up because they have something in mind. And they're like, look, we have all this extra stuff we want to throw in there. But if the game is still, you know, not working correctly, it's not going to work for the new stuff. So we need to fix it before we add it in. Well, it's amazing when you look at sort of the game as a whole. That, I mean, I remember years ago, you know, like back when you still bought, like, the magazines off the newsstands. And I thought this was going to be, like, the greatest game. And I didn't, I mean, I had an Xbox, not a PlayStation at the time. So I was like, well, we'll see how this goes. And then when it initially came out and, like, the reviews were so horrible, I was like, oh, this is disappointing. You know, because there's always games that you, you know, in the press you build up, and you're like, oh, these are going to be great, and then they might turn out to be okay, but just not what you expected, and I was really disappointed about that, but then, like, you know, a year or two later, whenever it first came out on Xbox, I went ahead and got it, because I was like, well, I've heard it's better, so I think that's also when you started playing, right, when it came out on Xbox. Yeah, I was in the exact same boat. I had a PS4, I was ready to go, and be, be my my rule, my personal rule is I always wait for a game because you never know. We've had so many instances. I mean, recently we've had like Cyberpunk come out that was just terrible on release day. It was like unplayable. And so many people pre-ordered it. 
And so they would try to. They felt like they were ripped off and things like that. So as a general rule, I always said, I will wait for the re- release day. There's people I love and I actually, you know, I value their opinion. So I'll, I'll watch their uh, reviews of it. And then when, you know, No Man's Sky comes out, first day, it's not very good. I'm like, okay, I'm going to let it simmer for a little while. After the first week, it was like everyone was saying, don't even touch this game. It is not worth it. It's not even half of the game they said it was going to be. So I completely avoided it. I said, okay, I guess I'm moving on to another game. And at the time, I wasn't uh, making content for YouTube, so there was no need for me to cover it or anything like that. So I completely blocked it out of my mind until the 2018 uh, release on Xbox. And that's when I was like, okay, you know what? At that time, I was making content. And so another rule I have is I always tell people, don't pre-order it. Don't buy it on day one. Go watch the people you you trust, the people you 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 value their opinion. You know that their their taste in games they kind of line up with your own. So you know if they like it, you're probably gonna like it. However, as a content creator, I'm like, look, even if the game is terrible, even if this thing is complete trash, I could put out you know a handful of videos and hopefully make my money back. I spent sixty dollars on a game. Hopefully, I can make sixty dollars back from a few videos. And so that's why I always tell people, I'm like, look, I'm going to pre-order it or I'm going to buy it day one. But that doesn't mean you should. I will go through, I'll stream it or whatever. And if it's trash, I at least make my money back. You won't probably make your money back. You just wasted $60 on a game. So I did that for my Xbox and I loved it. I was like, I, I almost was mad because I was like, I missed this game when it first came out. Because, you know, in my brain, I thought this was the game that they released on PlayStation 4 two years prior but it wasn't they've updated it and everything like that but i was so in love with uh, no man's sky from the first time i played it it was amazing and it's amazing to think about how they have continued to update and tool like we said and tweak and fix all for free like it's like i can't think probably of any game that's like done anything close to the level of like customer service they've done for this game and for no money. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, it, it almost spoils you because realistically, when you look at it from a business sense, they are sinking a lot of time, a lot of man hours. They're they're paying people to fix this game, but they're not charging for the fixes. So, I mean, they probably are making money on the back end because more people are are buying the game. And so the more people buy it, the more money they make. But the potential for them, you know, any other game developer would say, look, every update's like $5 or $10, and they're pumping out an update every couple of months. They're going to make tons and tons of money doing that. But Hello Games, Sean Murray, I I believe it was in 2019, he did a a conference on talking about game development and how he's when they released the game, he made sure all the comments, instead of going company-wide to Hello Games, and I think it was 28 people at the time, he routed all the emails, all the comments to his phone, his uh, his PC, and said, I will read it, don't even, because he knew the amount of hate and vitriol was going to come in. And he went through it, and he just said, I I looked at it, and I knew that we didn't deliver what we what people thought they wanted or what we, we said we wanted to deliver, and they wanted to make up for it. And that's why – and they, they, they've been making this model since then, and they've just been pumping out updates and – I love them for it, but also I know that it's a it's a very rare case where, especially with a team of like I think they're 
they pumped up to like 30 or 40 people at this point, but there's only 40 people doing it. So they don't have as much of an overhead as like any other game developer, like Ubisoft, who has a thousand people working there or EA games or Microsoft or whoever you want to, you know, any other game developer, they have hundreds or thousands of people working on it. This is a very small group of people, which is impressive for the amount of content they're making, but also they don't have as much of an overhead so they can kind of afford to push it off a little bit. And certainly, you know, it's the type of game that would easily lend itself to, like, the annoying microtransaction phenomenon that, you know, we've dealt with the last couple of years, because it's like, you know, all the things that, you know, people like you have asked for over the years, they could have easily decided to charge for. It's like, I know you always hope for ship customization. It's yes. like, it's like, okay, 99 cents will let you change the color of your starship or, you know, you want a certain design of whatever, 99 cents, you know, and they could very easily do that, but they don't. And admittedly, there's some stuff that we still haven't gotten after all these years that would be nice to have. But, you know, it is like you, you know, you can't help but like admire the like integrity of the company and Sean Murray. 100%. And, and I don't know, you said you started with the Xbox version in 2018. They did not have a Quicksilver shop at that point with the next update back in the summer of 2018. But when they announced it, it with the Beyond update that they were going to add items that you were going to be able to earn and pay for with Quicksilver, the first thought everyone had was, oh, man, they're going to put in microtransactions. We're going to have to buy this quote-unquote Quicksilver currency. That way we can buy all these other upgrades. But they didn't. And I'm like, that was like the perfect opportunity. They could have totally did it, but they still chose not to. That was three years after the game came out. You're like, okay, at this point, they probably are thinking about it, right? And every time, they still don't do it, which is mind-blowing to me. I love them for it. I think the the fact that they've still found, like, you know, like these new tweaks or things to add, you know, we were talking about, expeditions that I missed the first time around because that was during my hiatus from the game. And, you know, that, I think, was a, a smart move in hindsight because it allows veteran players like you and me the chance to start over because, like you, I have a, I have one save still that's like 380 hours. You know, that's left over from, you know, one of my early playthroughs. And so that's the one that I play every day, but now with these expeditions, because I'm not one that really wants to start over and just play a new game, you know, just for for newness sake, but the expeditions allow you to start over, I mean, within the parameters of whatever the, the gimmick is of the expedition, you know, to play, you know, from the ground up again, because like I said, you know, I've got a... 380 hours saved, I have all my slots are expanded, and you know what I mean? So it's just more of a daily maintenance thing with that, and I I, I think I said this on your Discord recently, like, I'm finally closing in after all these years of getting, learning all the vocabulary. I'm like less than, like, less than 100 for, for all three, all three of the races, because that that's was crazy. That's just something I never got around to doing because for the longest time instead of when you talk to people on the space station, 
I would just give them the like the Corvette casing or the Geck Relic or whatever. So, you know, I have this like super gigantic high standing among all of them, but I just never bothered doing the vocabulary thing because it's kind of annoying. And I would just add to vocabulary whenever I would find the stones on a planet or something. But so well, what, for for a long time that was the only way to do it. And that was the that's what made it so hard in the beginning was okay, I have to find sixteen hundred stones in order okay, come on now. But so yeah, but it's the thing where I've I've been looking at this going, okay, what is there left for me to do that isn't really like you know, I'm not glitching or anything. You know, again, I have like you, I have like over a billion dollars. I have like 200,000 nanites or something like that. So, I mean, so like the money isn't even worth anything. But it's like, I'm, yeah. so I'm now slowly finishing the vocabulary, but now I looked, and again, I don't know how much of this stuff has been added or whatever, but like I look at like the catalog, I still only have like 30 recipes or something like that. So that might be the next thing that I start doing where it's like I never did cooking. You know what I mean? That was just something that was just like a royal pain. It's like it's like playing Breath of the Wild. It's like it's like <laughs> yeah. you can become a person who just devotes yourself to cooking, and that can be your niche in this game. But I just never did it. But now it's I'm kind of like slowly learning to make stuff and doing the expeditions. I think has helped because you know there's been a bunch of them where you have to cook, and I'm like, oh, I didn't know you could mix wheat and hex berries or whatever and get some kind of flour that you need you know like like when you had to make all those cakes in one of them yeah i'm like i had no idea about this cake thing i just never did it but now that i know about it or like finally getting like all of the elements like i'm still missing like six elements you know like the ones that you probably need to like make or something like that so it's like it, there's all these little things that I still have left to do that like I'm slowly working my way through because I mean, it's not because you can't 100% No Man's Sky because it's endless. But you know these are at least goals I can work through when I play. Yeah, well, and and I think that is the that's a really good point. And we kind of talked about this uh, when Expeditions first came out was they are actually a really good way to introduce new things to players because we've had a, a pet expedition where you had to go literally go recruit a pet, go find an animal, a specific animal. Then you had to, uh, you know, gain its trust and actually have it hatch an egg for you so you can get a child from it. And people have never even messed with the animals before. And they're like, oh, I didn't know this was in the game. So it's sort of amazing. It's a genius way to introduce people. And, I mean, I say force, but it, it lets you kind of go into these elements that normally you would just ignore. Like there's so many people, like you said, they don't even care about cooking. They would never have done it because you can you can do all the other stuff by just buying, you know, you can go find food and just get some generic food. You don't have to make extravagant food. There was no really reason to, but it's there if you want it. And so people didn't even think about it. And now they're like, wow, I could actually make a cake or I can make donuts or whatever in the game. Same thing for pets. Same thing for in the last one, they introduced a lot of just base building, and they wanted you to go around. In Utopia, actually, technically, it's going on right now. I feel like the last one because I beat it like ten times already. But you can—they force you to make a make a base on a planet, upload it, go explore different planets, and kind of see. You go to a volcano planet, go to the top of a volcano, 
that kind of stuff. And I love that they introduce features that have been there for a while, but they kind of realize, I'm sure they can see it on the back end, like how many people actually visit these worlds or how many people actually cook. They probably have all those stats and they can say, look, nobody's using this thing and we introduced it. It's really cool. It has a cool feature there. Why not put it in the expedition to show people? Maybe they just don't know about it. Well, I like that in the new expedition, I think these are new, those those crafting stations. And, like, I hope, I don't know, have those actually made it into, like, the regular game yet? I mean, I know that once you finish your expedition, you can turn it into a regular save, but I don't think I've gone back to check to see if you can actually, on an old save, make those crafting stations now. As far as I know, you can't. So that is a new thing just for the expedition. And and uh, if it goes like what they've done with previous expeditions, like they had a um, the freighter expedition, they they introduced a brand new engine, the Singularity engine, which would allow you to to wormhole to a different system. That was in only the expedition. You can use it in your expedition save, but you couldn't get it normally in the game. And they eventually they're going to add it in, just like every other thing, like the Titan worms and things like that. But it feels like they want they want it to be special for the expedition. And then, like you know, two or three months later, they'll add it in as a normal feature in the game. Yeah, I, I mean, because it's not. I mean, they're convenient, but it's like you can always just go to the space station or go to the anomaly. It's not like you can only do it that way. But it, you know, but again, when you're kind of a lazy player, and it's like. You know, and when you've got unlimited resources, it's like, I can just build this here on my base rather than take the 30 seconds to fly to... And... Exactly. And the other... And I had completely forgotten, like, I was one of those people, like, I did the living ship stuff and then just forgot about it. So, like, it wasn't until recently that I was... Because I think I was watching one of your videos and I didn't know... If this was, again, I think something that came out while I wasn't playing was living frigates. And so I was like, oh, let me try and do this. And that kind of got me, for like a couple of days at least, experimenting with living ships until I remembered that you couldn't update them or expand them. And I was like, well, so I went back to just, now it's the kind of thing, I think I think you kind of are in this boat too. It's like now I'm collecting all the various kinds of solar ships. You know, because yes. it seems like, between the design and the wing, or the the foldouts, whatever they're they're called, it's like there's so many different ones now that I think I think of my nine ships because I haven't expanded yet. I think I now have like six solars. I think I have six solars. My like original fighter that you know is maxed out, and then a living ship, and I think that might be all I have right now because I'm sort of infatuated with these solars and I'm slowly I mean, we just got a couple more in this deck, or uh, from the drops. So it's like yep. now I've got it. So now I'm building those up. But yeah, I just I I think they're I think they're neat. Yeah, you know, because you know, for a while we had like what four or five kinds of ships, and they were all kind of basic. Even though there were a bunch of different varieties of them, it was kind of like okay, you know, fighter hauler, blah blah blah. You know, they were kind of boring. So like I'm yeah. again I I you know I really love the solars now. Oh, the solars are good and by the way, they have actually added uh, upgrades to your living ships. Okay. So it takes a little bit of time to get in there, but you can expand out the inventory and you can add more upgrades to them. They did that with the uh 
the Living Freighter update. Okay. I think that was in October or uh, July uh, yeah, of so, last year. But yeah, yeah. So yeah, so there's there's something for me to yeah. I was because I had forgotten because I just went in like I was like oh let me finally expand this living ship and I went in to go to the thing on the space station and it's like you can't upgrade no. these and I was like oh well and well, I went and yeah, I want to it's a living it's a living thing I know, you can't yeah. go through a machine but yeah yeah I get you. I mean, the the only bad thing I think about the uh, living ships, and I hope that they they do another pass and they kind of update it, is that it is so hard to get your living ship. I mean, it's worth it, but so many people just avoid it because there's a 24-hour countdown for each step. So you got to spend a week unless you adjust your clock, and there's ways to get around it. But if you do it legitimately, it's going to take you a full five days to earn a living ship. And then it's like, well, I mean... If it was really, really, like, way out there, the best ship in the game, maybe it's worth it. But, I mean, overall, they're an average ship that has really cool features. They look really cool. They have unique upgrades, but they're not better than any other ship in the game. So, why? 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 Yeah, it's just, like I said, and like like we mentioned, like, they just had this new update that came out last week that changed, you know, a bunch of more things that, you know, (laughs) it's funny... You know, one of the things you've talked about before is that whenever there's an update, Sharmori cryptically tweets about what it's going to be. And this time yeah. it was a snowflake, which led to all these really funny speculations about, you know, where they're going to be able to, you know, new weather patterns or new biomes or whatever. And then yeah. I don't think very many people predicted sort of the way this one was actually going to go with the fractal stuff. Yeah. Well, and then... I mean, it's called Fractal, and I I don't know if you know, but we we all, uh, some of the other No Man's Sky creators, we're racking our brains like, what does a snowflake, a snowflake is Fractal, so okay, I get that. But Fractal has nothing to do with the update content. Like, it was a lot of accessibility menu stuff, a lot of VR stuff, some visual upgrades, but that's it. I mean, it wasn't anything Fractal about it, so for us, I... There's a part of me that thinks that, look, they're getting to the point where they're like, look, we don't know. <laughs> we're, we're trying. We, we know what we want to do, but we don't know what to call it. So back in the day, we had the living ship update. The living ships came with that update. Okay, that makes sense. There's living ships in the living ship update. There was the outlaw pirate update. It literally gave us pirates in the game. Okay, that makes sense. And then you have the endurance update. You're like, what does what is the endurance update? Oh, it updated all the uh, freighters. What does that have to do with endurance? I mean, what? Okay. Or the fractal update. It it has, you know, a whole bunch of VR and accessibility changes. What does that have to do with fractal? So I feel like they're getting to a point where they're trying to reach. The, they know what they want to do, but they don't know how to name it or to frame it. So they're like, they can't, because I, I don't know about you, but fractal sounds way sexier than, hey, accessibility update. <laughs> it's like, well, maybe maybe that's the reason why. I don't know. I was just like, I'm like, okay, is this, I was just, the thing when I saw Fractals, I was like, well, I was like, oh, Koch Snowflake, and then I was like, that's, that's clever, and then I was like, oh, I was like, oh, no, please don't let this be another thing about multiverses, because it's like, we just did a, we did a pod, we did a pod recently with somebody that works in comics, and we were talking about how everything is a multiverse this and multiverse that now, and it's like, it's like, please don't, please let this be one part of my, like, pop culture experience that is not 
been like overrun. I'm like, so you're going to have like multiple versions of yourself, and it's like you're already like going through galaxies. Well, uh, you, you, I think you might have missed it. I think it was in 2019, right before everything, you know, everything shut down. They literally had that. They had a multiplayer. I, have you done any of the uh, the weekend missions, the community missions? Yeah, I was I was about to say there's the Ariande stuff. Yeah, like whether that counts they did as all of that. yeah, I guess so. So I guess, well, I guess it, but it's not not quite. Point, the, they yeah. didn't go deep into there. Yeah, they were they were like, yeah, we kind of touched on it, and there's multiple different universes, and there's different people. You know, there's different versions of you in different dimensions, and then they kind of just left it there, and you're like, what? It's been almost three years now. It was like. What are you gonna continue that, or is that just something that was like ah, flash in the pan? We tried it, and this doesn't work out, so whatever. Yeah, I guess. I guess really though, I guess if you look sort of like at the base thing, it really is all about weird, sort of like maybe not multiversional things, but like the whole sort of like Atlas sixteen recreating the universe stuff. It's like it's it's similar to multiverse stuff, but it's not. But you know, it's. Yeah, how many times has the universe been recreated and people are bleeding through and yada yada? You know, there's the you know there's the one part yeah. in the story where it's like you're talking to somebody at one of the the transmission towers and you're apparently like in the same space but in a different dimension or something. Yes, with Artemis. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, I guess it does kind of kind of do that stuff, but you know, it is. I I think it, I, one of the reasons I love the game so much is that. Like I said, there's no end game to it. It's like you can just sort of, you know, and I guess that sort of puts it in, you know, kind of that sort of Minecrafty kind of category where there's always, you know, stuff new to do. There's, like you said, there's there's barely there's like a framework of a story, but it's not the the game really isn't about that. But I also find that it's the kind of thing where it's that type of game where since there's no clock really and no goal that like you can get lost in it. You know what I mean? I know certainly back when I was like first starting out playing, it'd be the kind of thing where you're like puttering along and doing whatever and all of a sudden it's like four hours later. Yeah. You know, I was, was I was like that when I was in grad school. Like I got Probably addicted is the right word. I was like addicted to sit like Civilization Two, you know, to the point of like it like affecting my my work, just because it's like one more turn, one more turn. I'm in the middle of this war, blah blah blah. blah. Suddenly it's eight hours later, you know. Yeah. Yep. So it's that kind of game too. It's like it's not really like addictive, like adrenaline wise, but I guess it's like that slow drip of constant. Uh, information. Yeah, well, it's more of the, just the process. It, uh, we we had this. Uh, I had this discussion with some of the other No Man's Sky creators of, you know, some of the other games we played, like Valheim or things like that. It's just the game overall is very, very simple and straightforward. Hey, go explore, find stuff. But then you have the the slow process of oh, I have to go to a planet. Oh no, I need to make a base, and I need to expand my base out more. And actually, I wanted to add this thing. And you know what? Actually, I was looking over here. Now I need to add a, uh, you know, I need to add a, an oxygen farm over here. And then because I have my oxygen farm, I can actually start making some. And all of a sudden, it's three o'clock in your in the morning, and you're like, holy crap! I just spent seven hours playing this game, and I didn't even realize it because it was just 
you have that one next thing you have to do. Like, oh, I could do this. I should probably do that too. And then it just all of a sudden, it just, and it's amazing that all of the game mechanics work into each other like that, which is really, really cool. Well, I I would hate to like actually talk to one of those people who specialize in base building and learn like just how many hours of their life they spent making these insanely complex structures like you know it's like you you know you can go to the thing and it will give you like recommendations to go visit people's bases and you go to some of them and you're like one you're sort of awed by it and but then it's like how long did that take and it's just like amazing <laughs> yes. like i could not devote that much time to something like that you know either in real life or a video game it's just amazing yeah, it, it's crazy, and it, it's it's beyond my skills. Like, I've talked to some of the other creators, like Beeble Bum. He's an amazing uh, builder, and I chatted with him, and he, he, want, he was like, oh, I'll give you some tips. I can show you how to do this, and I, I sit in there, and I, I you know, I play co-op with him, and I'll, I'll see him doing this stuff, and I'm like, Beeble, I can't. I'm not, my brain doesn't work this way, and then you're planning. You're like, he knows one week from now, after playing hours every single day, one week from now, it'll be done, and he's planning out. His, uh, his next move, like, I need to do all this stuff. It's going to take me seven hours to do this. But at the end of the seven hours, I'll be able to move this piece over here, and it'll look amazing. And I'm like, that is way too much dedication. I can't do that. My brain just doesn't work that way. Yeah, I like UMA, like, uh, four walls and a roof base builder. Yep. Like, to be done with it and then move on to something else. Because it's just, like, functionality over, like, aesthetics, I guess. Exactly, and I mean, I know I can. I I don't make anything fancy. I just make it uh, like utilitarian. I'm just, hey, if I'm gonna, if I'm making an oxygen farm because I need oxygen, I know the basics. I know where to place it, and I know how to. It's not gonna look any, you know, not gonna look fantastic, but it'll work, and that's all I needed to do is work. One of the things that I thought was interesting that you mentioned during this expedition is, you thought maybe I don't know if you think it's true of all expeditions or just this one. That that it very much had the feel of they were sort of using this expedition to test their servers for like things that they may be working on behind the scenes, like and this is like a great sort 100%. of a great lab experiment for them. But like we get to play and they get the data all at the same time. Hundred percent, I do. I, I feel like and it, it did, I don't think it started out that way because the first expedition was just hey, we're going to give you some challenges to do, and that was it. And they weren't really interconnected. But within the last four to five expeditions, I've noticed a pattern of, like in the, the Utopia, the one that's running right now, they specifically want you to build a base, upload it to the servers, and then build another base, upload that one to the servers. So in essence, we have millions of people on a single planet Building whatever base they want is going to be bigger or smaller, whatever it happens to be, but we're all uploading to the servers. And I don't know if you've noticed it, but we've noticed it that, or some of the other creators have noticed that you don't see as many bases as you used to. So generally, in any other, like before the uh, the last update, and before 4.0 probably, you were able to, if you went into a really popular system, like you went into an expedition system, there would be hundreds, if not thousands, of bases, but they can't show you all of those because then you wouldn't be able to see anything. So they always limited it to a random 20 bases. So you can see a 20 bases, and it would change every day. So if I came back the following day, I would see a different 20 bases around. 
And we kind of formed our speed runs around that saying, okay, look, you can, you know that today this space is near this thing I need to go to, but tomorrow it's not going to be there. So we kind of, we kind of caught on to, okay, it's about 20, maybe 25, depending on how many bases are near each other. But with the Utopia expedition, you only see a handful, less than 10 now. And we're thinking they're going through and they're trying to adjust either they're trying to figure out what is the maximum before the game starts crashing because the No Man's Sky is notorious. If you have uh, multiplayer turned on or if you're playing in multiplayer, you'll run into way more bugs. The game is more likely to crash. Things just won't work because it's trying to take in all this information for multiplayer as well. So it feels like they're trying to fine tune it like, well, you can get 32 people in there. Before the uh, 4.0 update, you could get 32 people. And they haven't changed anything like on the, the website itself. It still says up to 32 people. But we've noticed, I know, uh, like uh, Zoo Games and Flowery Girl and uh, Ricey's uh, Starship Emporium, they always do a community game night on Friday where they have everyone come into multiplayer and they'll give away cool ships. Like if you don't have the Golden Vector, they, they'll give you one of those. Or they have really cool pets that are really rare to find. They'll give you some of those. But they've noticed that before the 4.0 update, they could get easily 32 people in there, and they'd just be handing out stuff. The game would run, like, you know, really terribly. You know, the frame rate would drop, but you'd get 32 people. However, after 4.0, they've dropped it down, so now it's really hard to get anything above 15 people. So they're tweaking something in the background, and they're just not seeing it. I think they're they're just going through, and they're using tools at their disposal, like the Expedition, to say, hey, look, we want to see how the servers deal with a million bases over here. So we're going to force everyone. We're going to tell them you need to upload your base to the servers. That way we get as many possible um, bases on a single planet as we can and see how the server handles it. And then we can adjust it and say, well, usually we'd still show you 20, but maybe 10 is actually a better thing. And it's more stable that way. Or we want 32 people, 32 people in a um, multiplayer instance, but the server really can't handle that. So we're going to drop it to 20 or 16 or whatever it happens to be. So they, they feel like they're testing the limits. And they also did, um, I think in the Endurance update, they had us visiting other players' uh, freighters so we can go on and check out their bases because it was a, a freighter update. I think they were also testing out how they can get so many freighters in a, in a universe, in a system, because before that, I couldn't call my uh, freighter into your system in multiplayer. Now we can. And so they're testing out limitations. I know I'm, I'm babbling, sorry. But it, it's just fascinating to kind of, Think about what they're doing, and is this just going to be for No Man's Sky? Because we also know that they're making another game. We don't know what it is. We, uh, Sean Murray's only talked about it a couple of times in interviews, saying that they're working on something else. It's on the same scale as No Man's Sky, but we don't know what it's called, what it's going to be. Maybe they're going to be using the same kind of procedural generation, and so now they're testing. They're using No Man's Sky to test the limits so they can put that into their next game. Who knows? Yeah, it's interesting. Like we were talking about, you know, that it's a relatively small company that's really only made, you know, that they've been making this, working on this game for, you know, six or seven years. And I have they done anything other than Last Campfire? Has that been the only other thing that they've done? Oh, no. Let me introduce you to Joe Danger, the Evil Can Evil motorcycle riding game that they made way back in 2010. <laughs> <laughs> they made... 
that's what was the other crazy thing because they were known for making Joe Danger. It was a um a motorcycle game that was like Evil Knievel. You're trying to collect points by doing tricks. And so everyone was like, okay. And then they announced No Man's Sky, and everyone was like, wait a minute, what? The Joe Danger guys are making this big Minecraft in space game? What the heck? And that's what made it so massive. But yes, they, I think they've done three Joe Danger games. Then they made No Man's Sky. And then it wasn't even all of them. I think uh, Last Campfire was made by two or three members of the team. So the rest of the team was working on No Man's Sky. Two or three people made Last Campfire, which is, I don't the people they have working at Hello Games are just impressively, like, mind-blowingly impressive to me because they can get, like, oh, we have two or three people working on a, an entire game that looks, like, amazing and has a lot of content to it. Or we have 20 people working on this game that's bigger than any other game that's ever been made. No Man's Sky is the largest game ever, and we only have 20 people doing it. That's fine. <laughs> Conversely, to compare that to No Man's Sky, we're, we, we mentioned it at the beginning – that the the news that we came up with today the the potential rival to No Man's Sky in the genre which will be mind-blowingly larger I'm sure is we we now have the official release date for Starfield Yes we do and actually I, I want to say that it's not going to be larger than No Man's Sky larger in sales maybe but the game itself the uh, Starfield specifically, they came out and said there's going to be a thousand planets versus 18 quintillion that are in No Man's Sky. And a lot of people said, well, that's not as big as No Man's Sky. But to me, I'm more excited about that because that when you limit your, your planets, that means you have more opportunity to customize them and, and really define what each planet does. Yeah, it's, it's so funny. Like we said, they released a new trailer today that I think, you know, gave us maybe a little more insight. It's like we kind of, you know, vaguely knew the story, more or less, I think, from, you know, like the last thing that came out a little while ago. But, you know, like you said, we got some more footage and we got a date. So it, it will just remain to be seen, I guess, in September, you know, what what it'll be. Yeah, well, actually, they, they announced the official date for the game, September 6th. But they also said, look... You know, we know you guys are really hungry for it, so there's going to be a specific showcase for Starfield that's going to happen on June 11th. And so now we know it's going to, it's the same week as E3. I don't know if you know about E3. Yeah. So it's the same week as E3. They're going to have a specific showcase. They don't they don't say how long it's going to be, but they kind of described it as we're going to go behind the scenes. We're going to show you more gameplay, more things, more features in the game, that kind of stuff. So. I'm really excited about that, but it's still June is like what three months away. So my heart, <laughs> I can't take it. I want, I want to play this game. I'm so excited for Starfield. Well, I was going to mention some of the other stuff that you've been playing. It's like, I know you restarted planet crafter, which is another sort of no man's sky type of game. But I know you spent like the last couple of weeks and were really enthusiastic about the, the Hogwarts legacy game. Yes, I love And <laughs> I will say, I'll preface this. I love that game. And I before I played that game, I had never read any of the books or you know, watched any of the movies. I didn't know anything about Harry Potter other than he had magic and he went to a school when he was a kid. That was all I knew about any of the Harry Potter stuff. And so I jumped into the game because I was like, it looks interesting. There's kind of a lull here because this was before the No Man's Sky update. I was like, well... 
this is the next big game for now. So I'm going to jump in and see what it's like. And on its own, it's a really good game. Even if you stripped out all the Harry Potter elements from it, all the Hogwarts and everything, if you just called this like old school magic game, it would still be an amazing game. Yeah, I mean, I really have no great desire to play it personally, but, like, I enjoy... Why not? Wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. You don't want to play it? Well, why not? What, what well, do you have against Harry Potter? No, 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 I don't have any... I don't have anything... <laughs> I don't have anything against Harry... The thing that I actually have against Harry Potter has nothing to do with what you may think. It's the fact that... Um, DC had a had a character that was, like, very similar to Harry... that looked like Harry Potter, that actually existed before Harry Potter. So I've always been in the camp of, like, you know, that, in a weird way, this was all just books... DC's books of magic, but just done. And, uh... That, you know, it's full of tropes and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's amazing that it became the phenomenon that it became when... I was, like, I think I've maybe read a couple, because I also worked at Borders when they were coming out, so, like, I have a weird, uh, um, like, connection to Harry Potter. Like, I think of, like, some of the busiest times I've ever had working in a bookstore, not at Christmas time, involve, I mean, we must have, because, uh, this was in Delaware, at, like, like, an A-level flagship bookstore. We must have had, like, a couple thousand reserves of that so oh, yeah. so I, this was like the fourth book so this is like 99 2000 something like that but it was just a you know i mean and i'm sure you know that like the book industry was very happy because lord knows how much money they made off of it but like i have like weird associations with harry potter that have nothing to do with all the other stuff that people would think about harry potter no i mean with a lot of stuff um I kind of like am very selective with what I play, but it's like I I have no problem watching people like you play stuff on the computer that sort of fulfills my need to actually play it myself. Okay. okay. So it's like for, uh, um, for me, I have the opposite. I if I watch someone play it, I go crazy because I'm like, why didn't you go over there? Why didn't you do this thing? And so I I have to play it on my own because. The person I'm watching did it completely the wrong way, and I know the right way, and so I'm going to play it the correct way. And so I have the complete opposite. Whenever I watch a, a walkthrough or a Let's Play or somebody just playing the, streaming the game, I, I get frustrated because they're not checking that thing or they're not upgrading the thing I want them to upgrade, so I want to play it my way. I think it would depend on the – I mean, if it was something I was super excited about, then I would play it. But if it's kind of like, oh, this is – like – I remember I was excited to watch somebody stream Kingdom Hearts 3 because, like, I played the originals back in the day, but, like, I kind of, you know, I like, I didn't want to pay the 60 bucks or whatever, and I was curious. So, like, it was more like I want to know the plot, and I want to know, like, for in that instance, like, which Disney worlds they pick to be in this game or whatever. But, like, I really don't have the desire to spend, like, the 40, 50 hours to play it myself or spend the money, but I'm happy to watch other people play it. So, okay. there's, um, like I said, I'm, like, I play, um, like, a lot of stuff, like I said, I mean, I was, I was, like, a daily Animal Cross, or Animal Crossing player for, you know, the two and a half years or whatever, 
And so, like, I was super eager for, um, like, I loved Golf Story. Like, I don't know if you remember that on the Switch from a couple of years ago. Like, no, they made it's it's weird. It's it's it looks like an eight bit, like old school RPG game that's about like playing golf, but it's also an RPG. So, and then it turns out it was made by an Australian company, and it turns out that. When you finally get to expand the map out and see all the regions that you were playing in, it actually looks like a map of Australia. So it was like a little hidden. <laughs> okay. So, like that. so, like, there was three years where they were working on this game called Sports Story, which was the sequel to Golf Story. Like, that was announced, like, during the lockdown. So, that, like, it finally came out at the end of last year. So, like, I had been waiting, you know, three years to play this game. There's this other game that. Uh, I was really waiting for that again was announced during the pandemic and didn't come out until last year called Card Shark. I don't know if you've if you heard of that. It's that a, a, no. Okay, the so poker game? no, no. It's 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 set in like revolutionary France, but it's about okay. it's about con men, and the deal is they're teaching you how to do card tricks to like. Um, you know, bend the cards this and how to swap and deal from the bottom of the deck and everything like that. But it's okay. but it, and it's got this really gorgeous art style. I'll I'll uh, I'll send you a link later to yes, to, to to the trailer. And but like so, I waited for like two years for this game to come out, and then like I finally played it, and it was like really cool and all. But again, it was from a small developer. I think like I think like a small British developer that I think the. I think, like, the creator of the game is, like, Eastern European of some variety. And so, again, it was a small studio, and then they got hit by the pandemic, so it took forever to come out. So it's like, I'm kind of more interested in, like, these little hidden gems now. And it's like, I have, like, I never had Game Pass before, but I got it when I bought my new TV. Like, I bought a big TV. And... I got three months free of Game Pass. So I'm like, okay, well, I have three months free of Game Pass. So I'm, like, scrolling through. And this would tell you, like, my age, and I think, you know, you're, like, of a similar level. So I was like, what? Do, there's all these fancy games. So, what? So what, like, what do I, what's, like, the first couple things I'm testing out on my new TV with my Game Pass? I'm playing Tetris, and I'm playing Peggle. Yes, Peggle! I haven't played Peggle in years. Yeah, so it was kind of a weird retro thing. But so yes. so now like I have a handful of things that like I'm slowly like I started playing oh, what's it I'm I'm playing Pertinent, the one that looks like medieval scrolls that oh you mean Pentiment yeah Pentiment yes so that looks really cool and then there's this oh what's that other and then there's that game that's like the the trial is out now it's called it's called like Ink Illuminati or something to that effect where it's like a it's a fighting game. But it's, like, played on medieval scrolls, and, like, you're apparently, like, a monk, and you're, like, drawing in the characters as they fight, and, like, I haven't Whoa, played, okay. I haven't, I haven't done very much with it, because it's still only the preview, so there's only so much you could do, but, like, I'm now interested in these sort of atypical, you know what I mean, like, I'm not a big fan of, like, you know, like, I've never, is, is the thing, I've never played Halo, I've never played Call of Duty, because like there's there's they're just not they're not my thing, and it's like I played the only battlefield I played I played the World War One battlefield whichever that one was called because it was different because it was war you know because it was World War One, 
before yeah. like before all the World War One hype came back a couple years ago with the anniversary. But I'm much more interested in sort of low key. Like the only exception to that is, and this may be slightly different too, but like I love Red Dead. Like Red Dead One might like might be my favorite modern game because I love westerns, and you know I'm not the world's biggest Grand Theft Auto fan. Like again, showing my age, I love Vice City more than like any of the other. Grand Theft Auto games, because it was, you know, it's the 80s and the music, and, you know, no matter how great GTA 5 is and how big it is and all the stuff you could do, it's like, I'd rather, now it's like I'd rather play Vice City just because I think it's cool to play in the 80s, because that's when I I grew up. But, you know, that's the cool thing about, like, having Game Pass and PX Store and, you know, I know you're a Steam guy, but it's like there's so, I mean, with Game Pass, it's like there's so much you can now sample for free, quote-unquote. Like, yeah, I know. You, like you played, uh, like a week or two ago. Like I think you you like tried out Atomic Heart, which I I assume since you haven't done more, didn't necessarily float your boat. But it's cool to at least be able to try it to see if you want to play it. You know. Oh, I I will tell you, I love Atomic Heart. It is such a good game. It has a an indie feel to it because it's not as polished as like a really big, uh, like, AAA studio game, but I love it. The reason why it hasn't gone on the uh, channel is YouTube is very, very strict about violence and language, and that game, he, you're, you're, the character you play as drops an F-bomb every other word. Uh. And so that first video, YouTube was just like, well, you can put it up there, but uh, we're going to... We're going to strike it down. We're going to copyright it. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess this is not a YouTube game. But I love Atomic Heart. No, because, like, the premise seemed, you know, again, like, I like alternate history stuff like that. And and it definitely seemed like it had, like, a Bioshock feel to it. That's what I, oh, got, I got from watching your stream. And I'm like, again, this is kind of interesting. And I guess, you know, I can theoretically play it for free, so I might as well try it. But, yeah, I was intrigued, but... Watching your stream, but I was just like, eh. Like maybe I'll get to it. Maybe I want to. The one that I don't know if you've ever actually finished on stream that I haven't played myself, but I probably should at some point. Because I think I said this in your chat the other day that when you were playing, when you start playing this new Outer Worlds remaster, I was like, yes. I'm like, please, please on stream finish Journey to a Savage Planet because I loved that <laughs> game when you streamed because. Because it was so silly. It was sort of like these type of games that we're talking about, but did not take itself seriously, which I sort of enjoy more than, you know, like the very serious kind of versions. I need to get back to Journey. I mean, I I played it with uh, Survival Bob as well. I don't think I've beaten it three times now because I wanted to get the achievements because I'm I'm an achievement person. I'm crazy about that kind of stuff. I feel like... My own personal, uh, my feelings on that is if I don't get at least half the achievements, then I didn't actually finish the game because I didn't play all the different ways they want me to kind of experience the game. But that's all my own brain thing. But yeah, I, I need to get back to uh, Savage Planet. I, that's been a while. The the thing that I, I, I loved and I hated about that was that the studio that made Savage Planet, Journey to the Savage Planet, got bought up by Google to work on Stadia games. And then they shut down Stadia, and so they basically just shut down the studio. So there's no way we're going to get a sequel, because I think Google still owns the rights to it or whatever, and they're just not making games. 
So I was upset about that. At, at first, I was really excited because I was like, oh, we're going to get a sequel to this no matter what because this is a really popular game. And then they just shut everything down. And I was like, oh, come on. Yeah, that's cool. Um, the one thing I did want to briefly touch on because I find it fascinating that uh, you made the transition like in the last year or two from being – uh, like a part-time YouTuber, Twitcher, streamer, whatever you want, to, whatever the t- term is these days. But you're you're full-time now. But you used to work in radio, and I was yes. curious. I know that you've talked about this on various streams, but I'm curious from an inside point of view. Like, was it just lockdown that really helped? Sort of. I don't want to say kill radio because you can't really kill radio. But, like, it was dying a slow death, probably the same death as newspapers. But it's just, like, because I think now, I couldn't tell you the last time I've actually listened to the radio as such, other than sports talk. But it's just, I wonder, like, how between streaming and podcasts and satellite radio, it's like, what was it like being in radio the last couple years? Oh, well... I will say radio was on its way out well before the the pandemic. And actually, it doesn't make sense, but the pandemic made radio have a little bit of a bump. So before lockdown, you know, I started in radio back in uh, 2015. And when I when I came into radio, because I went through school and everything, because I, I worked at I, I worked overnight at a Walmart at a retail store for years, for decades. And I finally got fed up with it. And I was like, I'm going to need to do something more fun. Radio sounds cool. Went to school, went to broadcasting school, did all that stuff, got into radio in 2015. And the first thing when I showed up, you would think, you know, I showed up, my boss, my programming director, he's taking me on the tour and everything. And I'm just walking through this big building and there's no one here. I'm like, you got one guy over here in this studio. You got this one's empty right now. What's what, there's like maybe 10, 20 people in here in this whole building. It's a big building. And I'm just I, I, at the end of the tour, you know, he kind of shows me everything and what, you know, the studio I'm going to be working in and everything. And I just said, well, I expected more people in here. And he kind of my, my program director, Bobby, just looked at me and he just said, well, if you were here in you know the late 90s, early 2000s, there would have been about 150, 200 people in this building. But I mean, as time has gone on, you know, our ratings are still high but not high enough to support that many people. And so a lot of uh, radio, in 2015, when I first started, a lot of radio was either national, so there's one guy over in you know in New York or one guy in California cutting all of his lines, and it, it gets broadcast throughout the entire United States, or it's what they call um, a voice tract, meaning I go in on Monday and I cut the whole week ahead of time. Because I, I know there's a pre-made pay- playlist of songs for the entire week ready to go. I know what's going to play next. I know on Thursday we're doing a drawing. So, hey, call in on, at this time. And if you're the ninth caller, you'll win. And we have our intern, Jason. He's going to go over and answer the phones. He knows that on Thursday at this time he has to go answer phones in this studio. But for the most part, I mean, it was on the way out. Lockdown actually helped because, I mean, what are you going to do? You're stuck at home. What are, you're going to watch TV? You're going to play some games? The, personally, when I saw my YouTube channel, I saw a huge explosion of views because everyone was stuck at home. And the same thing was happening when I was, I was working at radio and on my YouTube channel at the same time. And our ratings went up in radio because more people were listening. They didn't have anything else to do. 
and radio is free. You don't have to pay for it. Like uh, the one major benefit that radio has over like streaming and anything else is that you only have to suffer through commercial breaks. You don't. It doesn't cost you a penny other than buying a radio. If you have a radio, you can listen to it. You don't have to pay for it at all. And so, so many people were, so many more people were listening during the pandemic. And so that was a, a, a blessing and a curse as well for radio because then that piqued everyone's interest. Our corporate was like, whoa, your ratings are up. This is great. You guys must be doing something good. And we kind of had the, you know, after a month or two, at first we were like, oh, yeah, we must, we did something good that everyone loves. And then it dawns on you like, well, actually, no, it's probably because everyone is stuck at home and you got nothing else to do. So why not turn on the radio? And now our ratings are up. And then, of course, you see that the following year it starts going back down to normal again. And you're like, oh, OK, yeah, never mind. That was just a blip. So, yeah, yeah it goes contrary to what you think. Lockdown actually helped radio for a little bit that it happened. I guess my thing is just that. You know, like like you said, you know, I watch lots of streaming, and, you know, it's a thing. You know, it's like I've been doing a podcast for a few years. It's like, well, you know, I did a bunch more, po- you know, like I don't have a regular schedule. I don't, like, do every week or whatever. I do, like, whenever something happens. But it was kind of like, you know, I cranked out, like, five podcasts, like, during lockdown because it was like – and I was only out of work for a month before I went back. But it was like, what else are you going to do? So, you know, it's, but it's like, you know, like I said, I know a lot of people that work in sports talk and, you know, once everything sort of went national and, you know, I know people that worked at like local, you know, I, you know, grew up, I could listen to like, uh, FAN, NWIP, you know, because you're on the East coast and they're, you know, flamethrowers that, you know, you can, I can get them in the Mid-Atlantic and in Washington too, but it's like, you know, then ESPN starts, you know, it's like everything became national and then, you know, corporate and, you know, you, you know, the mega, you know, clear channel ish kind of conglomerates buying everything up and, you know, you get that uniformity and it's like, you know, I, you know, knew people growing up, like you said, in the eighties and nineties when it was like this booming and the same with people that work in newspapers. It's just, you know, it's like it's not like an antiquated medium. It's just certain things have passed it by. It's like you said, you know, if you don't have ratings, then you don't have ads, and you know, lo- local ads. And then, you know, like, we know this is a service we need to provide, but if there's no money behind it, how can we pay the people to do it? Hundred percent. I mean, and it was very corporatized, and I, I don't want to speak for everyone's station. But I know for mine, I worked at a cluster in Colorado Springs, and it was from on high. Corporate was just like, we need to, the only way we can cut costs, because you have to pay rent. Rent is always going to be there. The only way we can cut costs is cutting personnel, so cutting people. So how do we do that by also maintaining the product, maintaining your ratings? Well, we're going to have national stuff. So corporate would say, we have stations all over the nation you're going to take our guy from New York and you're going to play him at three o'clock in the afternoon and you're going to get rid of your local three o'clock guy, get rid of him. So nothing against him. He's a great guy, but we can't afford it. We need to cut costs anywhere we can. And it's just year after year, you see that, you know, this year, you know, we had 50 people next year. We'll have 45 people and we'll just slowly whittle it down to where 
I can see radio is probably never, ever going to go away. But I can see a future maybe 10, 20 years from now where it's just going to be this, you know, empty building with like three people in there. And two of them are going to be engineers just to make sure everything's running correctly. And one's going to be a program director making sure everything is plugged in like we have this show at this time. And that's it. And I would assume probably it's like you mentioned rent. It's like, well, you know, like, all you, you know, if all your talent, well, I mean, especially like you said during lockdown, like if your talent's at home and they're broadcasting over, you know, an ISDN line or a T1 line or whatever we have now, it's like, well, you know, do we need a big fancy office building or can we have like a little tiny office building where like the paper pushers work <laughs> and everybody else is brought, you know, it's like, Again, you know, you're in Colorado. I'm on the East Coast. It's like, you know, you, I mean, really in radio, other than in other than if you have accents, it's like you're not going to know where somebody's broadcasting from. Like, nope. and and of course, and and they can lie. It's like, you know, I know people that were like, you know, you're given local talking points. How about that local sports team, Bob? <laughs> You know, and you're just like reading it off the copy because it's like you have a generic Midwestern accent. So who knows if you're in Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, Nebraska, you know, yeah, 100%. And speaking of the rent, that was the first thing when we first went into lockdown, send everyone home, work remotely. Of course, there was the essential personnel. Like I was a uh, I was a producer at the time. So I literally a board op. I was there making sure. Commercials ran on time. All the uh, the programs were running at the correct time for the correct length. So I had to physically be there because if anything needed to be changed, I have to push a button or something like that. But a lot of talent, a lot of the hosts, a lot of the DJs were at home, and they would just either email in or they would send in all of their audio files so I would be able to plug it in wherever it needed to go. But the big talk was after about a couple months of lockdown because uh, they didn't let anyone go back to work for, I think, six months. So we were and technically like two weeks to, to flatten the curve or whatever. But for six months, they were like, nope, we don't want anyone. If you're if you're not essential, don't come to the office. Don't come to the office. And after a certain amount of time, they were just like, well, we're doing this remotely. We don't really need to bring anyone back. All our salespeople, they're doing all their meetings remotely through Zoom and stuff. So well, how do we shrink this building down? And they were in talks. They were like, how do we do – can we do construction and build up a wall and sell and rent off the other half of our building to someone else? Because we don't need it at this point, and it's actually cheaper to keep the lights off. Literally had me walking through, make sure the lights are off in this section because we don't want to pay the electric bill over here. Or make sure the heat is set to a certain temperature because – no one's in there. It doesn't need to be hot or cold or whatever. It just needs to be maintained. And that was a big talking point. And I believe I've, or I'm gone now, but I believe they are actually in the process of either chopping up the building into pieces they can rent out or outright just saying, look, we're going to move to another building in, at this time. Yeah, just that's it's it's the weird thing of like how digital life has like spread everybody out rather than. You know, it's like I worked in newspapers for a while, and it was like I know people that, you know, like still work, and they're like, yeah, our offices are like basically ghosted. Because, like, you know, it's like if everybody works from home, and it's like you occasionally come in for meetings, it's just, you know what I mean? There's like, yeah. in that sense, the like camaraderie and spontaneity 
like in certain kinds of media that you need are gone too. Hundred percent, and that was the first thing we noticed when we um when when I first when they first locked down twenty twenty in March of twenty twenty. We uh we had all of our hosts go home and we're in a remote in so that we sent them home with a a PC and a microphone setup that way they can they can dial in they can come in through the the uh, to the studio with a system a secured system and it sounded exactly the same well most of them sounded exactly the same every once in a while you get some randy guy who's like I'm gonna broadcast from my bathroom and I'm gonna have all the echoes on the planet and you have to yell at them but other than that everyone sounded just like they were in the studio you know go into your bedroom make sure there's things on the wall so you don't get any echo they all everyone knew that kind of stuff the problem is we were trying to get like if we had a show with two different people like two different djs a morning show it was so awkward when they were trying to joke back and forth because number one there's a delay you have a uh one to maybe two second delay so if i say a joke it'll take two seconds for the next person to hear it and if they laugh it's going to take two seconds to get to me and so there's that weird awkward like well, I said a joke. It's not funny. So I'm going to move on. And so I start talking. And then the next person laughs. And you're like, oh, God. And so there's that awkward, off-putting time. But then, two, you can't see anybody's face in the studio. So you don't, you can't riff off of somebody. So if you're talking and someone's, like, cringing because you're making a really bad joke, you can't just, you know, dump out and go, okay, that was a bad joke. I'm not going to do that. Or if they're really riled up and laughing, you keep going. There's none of that. So you lose that, that interconnection, and you really need that, especially, I mean, in our case, it was for the morning shows because a lot of our afternoon drive was just a single guy. So it didn't really affect them as much. I mean, it still was kind of disconnected, but the morning shows for sure because there was a lot of back and forth. There was a lot of two- or three-person morning shows that just they had to get used to that. And it got to a point where they were like, look, we're going to Zoom it. Instead, because we can use the system and we can kind of talk back and forth and it sounds perfect. However, we can't see each other. We can't talk or anything. So we're, we're going to use Zoom and it's going to be a little bit lower quality, uh, you know, audio wise. But the content is going to be even better. Well, I think all you have to do is like if you watch like in the old days, like when you watch the film of like the Stern show, like when it was on E!, and you saw like all the stuff that was going on behind the scenes that you didn't hear, yeah. you know, like Jackie and Fred writing jokes and passing them to Howard, or like people <laughs> make, or people making eye eye contact or whatever. Yeah, it's all that kind of stuff that that was lost. Yeah, well, and then the, that's my 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 favorite thing to ever do in radio was to take someone who's never you know never been in a radio station before. Take them on a tour because a, a lot of people, they have this image in their head. And maybe it was this way back in the, the 80s and 90s at the height of radio, you know, back in the Howard Stern days. I, I am thoroughly convinced that Howard Stern, he sunk so much money into his studio because he knew it was going to be filmed. Because every radio station I have ever been in, and I've been in multiple stations it's literally you have a big desk desk in the middle with microphones out. You have the one side with the board op, the uh, person who does the the soundboard, and then you have the other side with the show host. And it's so plain Jane, like the walls have carpet on them because that's soundproofing. You have like your you might have a few posters on the wall for like if you're a a country station, you'll have country posters or what have you. But it is so plain, like the most business small room you can think of because 
if it's a lot if it's a large room you got to worry about echo and reverb so you want to make it really small as small as you can get it put you know soundproofing on the walls which is usually carpeting you'll it looks like carpeting it's really really thick carpet and then you know and that's it there's nothing else in there there's no fancy anything so everyone they get all excited like oh Jason you're going to take me on a tour yeah i'll show you that i'll show you the studio i work in and they get there they're like oh okay that's kind of i guess that's cool I had that happen even more with TV, because it was like, uh, I used to be really good friends with Tony Kornheiser, and so I would go up every, like, once or twice a year, I would go up and watch him record his radio show, and then we would go over and watch them record PTI, and it's like, one, it was funny because the, the studio is in, I think, like, the ABC building now, or something, because they're, you know, because they're in ESPN, but, like, they were in, like, this tiny uh, video office that was actually, it was in the basement, of all things, the the, yep. al- the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms building in D.C. <laughs> that's yep. that's where the Atlantic Studio, the Atlantic Video Studios were. So you would, it'd be like, you'd have to sign in, and you have to go through all these metal detections, and they're like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to Atlantic Video, and you go down the elevator, and it's a thing where it's like, okay, here's all the offices where everybody hangs out, and there's the dressing room. And then, like, we go up to the studio, and, I mean, so you watch, you know, you're used to watching TV shows, and, like, the studio hole is, like, you know, like, barely bigger than my bedroom. And you're like, this looks so fancy on TV, and you're, like, sitting on a chair behind the camera, and, like, watching them record, and you're like, like... The magic yep. of the magic of TV sometimes is really amazing. Like what you can do with like a little tiny room and lighting. Hundred percent, and it, it opened my eyes. Like my uh, my wife was trying to be a uh, a reporter on uh, television, so she would to all these interviews. We went to like Wyoming and all these other places right out of right out of school, and she was. You walk in and you're just like. This set looks like way different than I see on television. It is crazy the amount of of uh, production value, I guess you can call it, that you can get out of like a cardboard behind you and some good lighting, and that's it. Definitely. Well, Jason, I want to thank you very much uh, for doing the show today. And oh, uh, it was a blast. I love it, man. And chatting. So yeah, we may have to get you back the next time something. Maybe when Starfield finally comes out, we'll have you back on the show to talk about that. Um, yeah, well, they have a they have a showcase in June, June 11th, man. They're going to show off hopefully more. I'm hoping they show off a lot of the game, but maybe they don't. Maybe they just tease us a little bit still. Cool. And like we said, uh, you're on YouTube and Twitch, so if you want to do your plugs, feel free. Yeah, guys, definitely. If you if you like No Man's Sky, I, I've also been playing some other games as well, but No Man's Sky is my main game. If you love No Man's Sky, you, Jason plays on YouTube and Jason plays NMS No Man's Sky over on Twitch. Love it. Cool. Yeah, we'll definitely be uh, checking you out there. We'll see what happens with uh, whenever the next expedition is. I know we probably still have like what the rest of the month before the one that's going on now. Yeah, we have all through uh, March, and then usually they'll end, and we won't see another expedition for about two or three weeks after the ending. So I'm thinking. End of April, maybe beginning of May, before we see the next expedition. And I assume that uh, with this latest expedition, can you possibly get lower on your speed run than you've gotten, or do you think you, you've maxed out? Because 
you you guys have pretty much gotten it down to almost the exact science. Like, I don't know how much more time you can shave off on this one. Well, I think we, we've got the science down, but now it comes down to a lucky run. So if you guys don't know, a speed run in a, in an expedition, we, we uh, me, Zane, a few other members of the No Man's Sky community, we try to finish them as fast as possible. And I believe I still have it. I might not have it yet, or I might not have it still. But I've gotten my speed run down to 56 minutes, so I can get it under an hour. I can get it done. And I think that we have all the basics. We know exactly where to go. So now it just comes down to uh, lucky spawns, like when you spawn up, where you're going to spawn, and if you're close to anything, just to get a little bit of an edge. I don't think, I mean, who knows? <laughs> but I don't think we'll be able to get under 45 minutes. Like, I think the fastest expedition we've ever done was the, oh, God, it was the one in, I think, May of 2022. I can't remember the name of it. But we got it down to 36 minutes, which was crazy. Literally get a whole expedition done in 36 minutes. And that was Zane. Zane did that, that one. I think I got my, my time down to 45. But, yeah, this one, I think we can probably get it under 50, but that's going to be really lucky. Like, you have to have a perfect spawn and have everything work out exactly perfectly. Yeah, it's amazing to watch you guys do that. Because I think, I think this expedition, again, playing it like a leisurely pace, I think it took me like – three hours and then it was funny when we were talking about the hiatus when i did the first expedition uh after i started playing again that like i didn't know all of these new things and i think that was the pet one and i didn't know i hated that and, one and what was funny is like i don't know if there had been pets when i stopped playing so it was all new to me like the egg stuff so i didn't it took me i think i went to like three planets before like i've because I think that was the one where, like, the first couple planets you go to, there aren't any animals. And so it took me, like, until the third planet to find one. And I didn't realize that, like, they gave you an egg to start with. Yep. And, and I was just like, <laughs> I was like, oh, well, I guess this, this would have made it a lot easier. And then you said, and because I started from scratch with that pet, I think it started at 50% trust. So it took me, like, a week to like get it yes. to, and that was like the I had done everything else, but it was just, and like you said, some of that expedition things are real time sensitive. Like when yeah. you like like freighter missions, it's like you know it's real time, so you got to wait twenty four hours, and so I mean, which was fine with my schedule because that was just like I would log in, I would like pet it, feed it, see that it went up. And then turn it off because I knew I wasn't going to be doing anything more until tomorrow. Yeah, well, and, and that was the. I mean, I, I, I we, uh, we, we, lightheartedly say that Hello Games is trying to troll all the speedrunners because we started doing it really intensively last summer, like in May and June. That's when we really started doing speedruns, trying to beat them as fast as possible. And then we noticed they started doing the. Well, you have to do you have to earn the trust of your pet, and that's going to take 24 hours, maybe 48 hours, depending on your pet. And then there was, uh, well, you also have to find these particular eggs, and so only one animal will give you this egg. And but since uh, No Man's Sky is procedurally generated, it's randomized. You don't know where the egg is going to be, and it's like oh, that's that is like the antithesis to all speedrunners, because I mean, there's no way until like two weeks later we know this planet. So now we have a, a route to go and hopefully the animals are on this planet still. <laughs> yeah, so, it's, 
Yeah. It's amazing sometimes the way people have adapted the way they play certain games to do certain things. And, you know, speedrunning is like, you know, a big genre, especially, you know, in streaming that I'm sure, you know, authorial intent never came into it with some of these things where people were like, why would you? And then you, it's funny, then you watch people like speedrun something like Breath of the Wild, which, you yeah. know, took me like, you know, three weeks to finish or whatever. And you're like, like, I would never, I wouldn't think to like, get through it, especially with Breath of the Wild. It's like, it's like, why would you play this as fast as possible to beat, given that it's like a giant open world game, but it's yeah. like, whatever you do to keep keep your game interesting. I mean, I think with Breath of the Wild, I was so... I had done, like, every sub-quest and, I mean, I didn't find all the Korok seeds, because, you know, who's crazy? But it's like... I am, I am. I'm doing that, I'm literally playing through a Breath of the Wild right now. That's like my offline game that I'm just playing in my free time. And I, I looked it up. I was like, oh, there's these cool seats that I can use to upgrade my uh, my equipment, uh, like inventory. And I looked it up, and they said, oh, there's 700. Nobody's going to get that much. And I was like, okay, I guess that's what I'm going to do for the next year and a half. That's fine. And then what's the reward? Poop. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> which I think which you think is also a great medic. I think that's also a great medic commentary on, like, trophy hunting. Well, Jason – Thanks again for doing the show. We'll definitely have you back at some point when uh, something new comes up that I know you'll be interested in. But thanks for doing the show once again, and we will talk to everybody next time. Our galaxy itself contains 500 billion stars. It's 100,000 light years side to side. It bulges in the middle, 6,000 light years thick, but out by us, it's just a thousand light years wide. We're 30,000 light years from galactic central point. We go round every 200 million years. And our galaxy is only one of millions of billions in this amazing and expanding universe.